When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The FT. Welcome to Banking Weekly from the Financial Times with me, Patrick Jenkins. Joining me in the studio is Brooke Masters, Chief Regulation Correspondent, Charlene Goff, Retail Banking Correspondent, and Alistair Gray, our Insurance Correspondent. This week, we'll discuss Barclays' decision to appoint Anthony Jenkins, an internal candidate, as their new Chief Executive. It's very much that idea of safe reliable rather than inspirational rather than something that got investors really excited last week we'll take a look at rbs floating its insurance arm direct line it's clearly a pretty tough market out there for ipos at the moment this would be the biggest flotation by a uk company in the past three years so it is debatable whether you'd do this now unless you had to And finally, we'll look into the possibility that banking liquidity rules could be softened. The liquidity rules are the first ever attempt to deal with the run that brought down Lehman Brothers. And the global regulators really want to have rules in place to prevent that from happening again, but they don't actually know how they'll work in practice. First, though, to the Barclays story. And Charlene, Anthony Jenkins has been appointed as the bank's new CEO. This kind of ends two months of pretty turbulent news for the bank. The CEO, Bob Diamond, and Marcus Hages, the chairman, leaving, getting a big fine from regulators over libel, manipulation, lots of other bad news. And worst news for me personally that was that you were on holiday last week when this news broke. But you can make up for it now and tell us what you think of Anthony's appointment. Well, I think I think the good news is that they've moved really swiftly to fill this. I mean, the appointment comes a bit sooner than anyone had expected. They thought it could sort of drag on. It could be harder to find someone suitable to fill the role. I mean, the, the new chairman who we have coming in, uh, well, he starts this week, actually, Sir David Walker. He, he doesn't actually fully take over until November. So, you know, that, that's the positive is that, the, you know, we've got the new regime in place now and... Anthony Jenkins is considered a safe pair of hands, but it's very much that idea of safe, reliable, rather than inspirational, rather than, you know, something that got investors really excited last week. Which is really what Bob Diamond was, isn't it? He was, you know, a lot of people were enthralled to Bob Diamond. He was a very charismatic banker, an investment banker, of course. But how long did he last? Uh, Not very long. (laughs) Well, exactly. And I think they would not want a repeat of the kind of events that we saw under Bob Diamond. They want a definite break from the kind of culture he presided over, that very, you know, bonus focus, sort of quite aggressive stance that he took with regulators and the government. And I think Anthony Jenkins is regarded as a softer kind of personality, someone who's very methodical, very intelligent, just gets the job done but may not have the kind of inspiration and creativity to really deliver some outstanding returns you know, for shareholders. So I think we're probably looking at a bank, you know, really that sort of plods on a bit more than has the big rise in profits and the big growth that we saw in investment banking under Bob Diamond um, scandals and then as well. the scandals. What about Mr. Jenkins's track record? He's been back at the bank. I think he started there as a trainee many years ago, but he's been back with Barclays for the past six years, first as head of Barclaycard, the credit card operation, and then for the past three as head of the whole 
retail operation. He's done a pretty decent job there, hasn't he? He has. I mean, definitely Barclay Card is one of the strongest performing divisions of Barclays. Uh, so he's definitely considered to have done a good job there. And I mean, the retail arm currently is having a pretty tough time, but like all retail banks are. And that's uh, partly him having to kind of undo some of the expansive strategy of his predecessor, Fritz Segers, right? Yeah, I mean, he hasn't been in charge of the whole division that long. I mean, I guess the, the sort of blemishes on his record would be PPI. Which is not directly involved with the retail bank, but it would have been part of what went on at Barclaycard. It was, well, both, actually. It was right. uh, it was Barclay Card and the UK Bank were both involved. And also Barclays has been one of the worst offenders in the mis-selling of interest rate swaps to small businesses. It took a provision earlier this year that was way bigger than any other bank. So, And to what extent would he personally have been involved with either of those things and... To what extent was he inheriting? He was at Barclay Card at the time when PPI still would have been sold. I mean, the the, the worst time really was to sort of 2006-7. So just when he came in. When he came in. But everyone was doing it, you know. And we've yeah. seen even banks like the Cooperative and Nationwide were also involved in PPI. And I think Barclays did respond quicker than some others, definitely quicker than Lloyds Banking Group to, to rectify and stop selling it when, you know, the issues sort of first emerged and the problems emerged there. And I, I think the other thing to say about Anthony Jenkins is he's pretty popular internally. I think he has yeah. a good relationship with lots of staff and, and with the government and regulators. And that'll be a priority to rebuild those relationships, clearly. And for the time being, at least on the back of uh, last week's comments, uh, investors are giving him a break. I think they're pretty pleased that they have an external chairman now, Sir David Walker. But on the, that basis, they were happy, at least the ones that I spoke to, to have an internal continuity candidate, if you like. Yeah, I mean, the, the, other, the other question it raises is um, what it means for the investment banking side of, of Barclays, which you know is widely thought to need some kind of slimming down, repositioning now. That's, but can he do that in an orderly way by yeah. keeping the faith, if you like, with the staff, particularly in the US? Exactly. I mean, he was one of the only candidates for the job. In fact, perhaps the only shortlisted candidate for the job that did not have you know direct investment banking experience. Yeah. Exactly. We should move on to our second story of the day, which is the story moving on, if you like, that RBS is is pressing ahead with its float of direct line. Alistair, you have been following this story for some time. No secret that they are wanting to float direct line, but we've got some figures out from the bank today. I suppose the obvious question is, why would you float a business now, particularly a motor insurer now? Is it a good time? Well, I think the answer to that really, the honest answer is perhaps because they they really have to. Right. Um, this is, we should be, make it clear, this is ordered by the European Commission as part of the penalties for the state aid they took when they were nationalised. Yeah, they have to seek control by the end of next year and get rid of the whole thing by uh, the end of the following year. Right. Of course, they don't have to IPO it. It's clearly a pretty tough market out there mm-hmm. for IPOs at the moment. This would be the biggest flotation by a UK company in the past three years. Right. So it is debatable whether you'd, you'd do this now unless you had to. But they're pressing ahead with it despite potential for a trade sale yeah interestingly yeah i mean we've had a, we've had a few uk insurers caution now about the state of the the motor market and the industry's had quite a decent run with uh, rising premiums but that's recently gone into reverse and uh, just last week admiral was saying it reckons the market would be tough for at least the next year or so there's a host of regulatory changes coming up including abandoned referral fees which doesn't help so um, given that headwind how much can they get for this business do you think 
Well, it's worth remembering RBS was hoping to fetch uh, £7 billion for it four and a half years ago. It entertained interest from trade buyers, private equity, and rejected them all as uh, too low. Mm-hmm. So Direct Lines now got a tangible net asset value of about £2.3 billion. Mm-hmm. RSA is on about 1.7 times that, its tangible book value. In terms of what it's trading in the market, at, yeah. so that would attach a, a valuation of yeah. what three billion or well, so, four billion maybe. N- no one in the city push. thinks that Direct Line would get one point seven times. Right. Uh, an analyst was talking to this morning, reckoned they could maybe get one point two times. Talking there about a two point nine three billion pound market cap. Right. So he reckoned if you know they st- if they go for three point five, it's it's just going to get not the best reception. And what's the, what's the timing, as far as you understand, going forward now? Will it happen in the autumn? Remember the dinners in tranches, mm-hmm. the first chunk of about 20%. They've said in various different statements, if I had talked about the second half of this year or October. Mm-hmm. So it's not like they're doing the whole thing at once, no. which counts in their favour. Mm-hmm. And what figures did you... You said there were some figures out earlier today. What Analysts reckon they've done a sort of decent enough job of making operational improvements. The combined ratio, which is like the sort of measure of underwriting profitability in the insurance sector, is still above 100, which mm-hmm. means they're losing money. But you can still make a decent return, investment income, other sources, fees. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of moving in the, in the right direction. Paul Geddes, the chief exec, was saying today they're targeting... Hundred million pounds worth of cost savings and a fifteen percent uh, return in tangible equity. So, given the difficult environment, it looks doable. Yeah, it's seen as a sort of quite well-run UK motor insurance. It's also worth bearing in mind it's not just motor. Hmm. They've got home insurance, a rescue business called Green Flag, yeah. commercial insurance for SMEs. They've got assets in Italy and Germany. Okay, and Charlene, how how important is this for uh, for RBS? Well, it's the the last of the big disposals that they had to do as a result of the state aid that they had three years ago. And I think what's interesting is that, you know, this is they're getting on with this quicker than the sale of their retail branches, which started nearly two years ago. They agreed to sell that to Santander and that disposal still hasn't completed. So, I mean, it's it's another step in that process they have made fairly quick taking fairly quick action to meet those state aid remedies they've got as Alistair said till the end of 2013 to do that I mean they don't want to sell this business as we've heard but given that they have to I think you know it's uh, it's good that they're getting on and and doing it and yeah they have to CEO Stephen Hester is probably not going to be shedding too many tears over getting half the value that he might have got four or five years ago given that the thing has to be done and uh, as you say it's the last big disposal that they need to do. Brooke has been waiting patiently to talk about our final topic for the day. This is tweaks to the Basel rules this time concerning liquidity. It seems Brooke that there is a mood towards maybe softening the rules around liquidity buffers. Exactly. Basically what's happened is the liquidity rules are the first ever attempt to deal with the run that brought down Lehman Brothers. And the global regulators really want to have rules in place to prevent that from happening again, but they don't actually know how they'll work in practice. Now, this is a problem because they never existed in the past, right? Kind of pre-crisis, there were no, wasn't such a thing as regulated liquidity provisions. Exactly. You would have a conversation with your supervisor about whether you, they thought you had enough assets, but there weren't any global minimums. There weren't any standards because everyone figured banks could do that. Yeah. And of course, it turned out not to be true. 
And what's happened is they had put out what they said were going to be the rules in 2010, and the industry went nuts and said, you know, we're short trillions and trillions of dollars, and there just aren't enough good assets that will fit in this buffer. Because the way they've defined the buffer is you have to have cash, you have to have gilts, you have to have other sovereigns, and you have to have really high-rated corporate bonds. Yeah. And there just frankly aren't enough. Yeah. And so what has happened is over time – the regulators have thought about how can we soften this so that it still preserves its meaning that these banks do have to have pools, but that we also don't freak the markets out and lead to hoarding of assets. Mm-hmm. After lots and lots of proposals and lots of lobbying by the industry, the ones that look like they're going to go through, and it's not done, mm-hmm. there's still three meetings basically between now and January when it all gets finalized, are that they will be allowed to count equities from very large stocks that are non-financial and they'll have to count twice as much. So basically, for every one you need for the liquidity buffer, you'd need two equity. Right, which is known in the jargon as a take a 50% haircut, basically, on the value of the, the equities. Exactly. Now, uh, equities weren't going to be allowed at all. Absolutely not, because no. the problem with equities is they are very liquid, and you can always sell them, but they're not price stable. But so you deal with that with the haircut. haircut. Yeah. The other big thing that they're likely to change, and again, the votes aren't all lined up, is that the way they calculate how much each bank has to have depends on what the bank has. And one of the big rules is you have to keep enough cash and liquid assets on hand to deal with a 5% outflow of your retail deposits, like a mini bank run. Mm-hmm. And there is a move to cut that to 3%, which, although it sounds really small, makes a huge difference for the very biggest universal banks, which are where most of the shortfall is. And this, the third thing that really matters is you also are supposed to be holding assets in case all of your corporate customers all at once draw down on their lines of credit because mm-hmm. most banks offer lines of credit that corporates don't use except for you know to deal with a rollover of commercial paper. And right now you have to have 100% enough so that if everybody drew down at once, you could still fund it. That didn't happen in the crisis. The banks say that's crazy and will make lines of credit unnaturally expensive and be problematic for the commercial paper market because every commercial paper comes with a backstop that's a line of credit that you don't basically pay for right now. And there is a move led primarily by the United States, but with real support to reduce that somewhat. Probably, you know, it's unclear how much less than 100%, but it will be lower than 100%. Going back to the assets that will be allowed, you talked about the equities haircuts and them being allowed into the, the pool. There had been a lot of talk about certain other assets, gold, I remember. Gold's not getting anywhere. The right. gold bugs are trying. I yeah. don't. There's There may be a couple of regulators who are interested in doing it. There are 27 members on the Basel Committee, and I don't see gold getting even a majority. What about corporate bonds? Is the threshold being dropped there from the top? kind of ranking? Right now, it's double um, A or above. Mm-hmm. Um, there's definitely a move to take it to single A. Some, particularly in Europe, would like to take it down to triple B. That's more debatable. The other thing that's out there is the ECB, the European Central Bank, is pushing a completely different definition, which would say basically anything you can take to your central bank as collateral should count. Right. That in the eyes of many other regulars, undoes the whole thing because it, it becomes a government aid system rather than a privately sellable assets. The ECB is pushing it very hard, though. Again, I don't think it's going to pass. There, mm-hmm. there seems to be a lot of opposition, and and including some members of countries that use the ECB. Germany is considered to be opposed to this. By all accounts, the U.S. doesn't like it. The U.K. is pretty squishy on it as well. Could there be a, a different regime for Europe in the same way as the we know that the uh, legislation CRD4 that's implementing Basel on the Basel rules generally is kind of taking a different stance on certain aspects. Could that be the case on liquidity or not? 
Uh, it's possible, as written, CRD4 says, we're leaving a hole for liquidity. We're waiting to see what Basel does. The, right. the text that's coming through is completely blank, basically, on liquidity. That certainly could be a way to do it. The thing is, given that some of the big opponents of the ECB's idea are within Europe, it's not clear to me how all that right. will play out. Okay. Well, it's, it sounds like a, a running story that we'll have to keep tabs on over the next few months. Thanks very much. That's all for this week, sadly. All that's left for me to do is to thank Charlene, Brooke and Alistair for their contributions and to thank you for listening. Remember, you can keep up to date with all of the latest banking stories at ft.com slash banking. Banking Weekly was produced by Katie Carney. Until next week, goodbye. For more downloads, go to ft.com forward slash podcasts. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.